everyone and welcome to the Koala Club podcast, a podcast made by and for international students in Australia. I am Kevin and I am Trang and we talk about everything education, work and lifestyle for overseas students in Australia. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Koala Club podcast. Now this one is a quite a very special episode because this one is our 10th episode from the beginning if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Yeah. How are you going, Chan? I'm going very good, thank you. Very excited that it's our 10th episode. I think it's definitely gone very fast. I know, right? Like, it feel like just yesterday we struggled on how to, you know, record our first episode and now we're on the 10th one. And uh, you know what? Like most of 10 episodes we have, we have recorded during COVID lockdown. So, you know, we do all, we have done all that, you know, despite all the lockdowns, all the social distancing and you know it's quite hard so um, I think we we got to feel quite proud of ourselves yeah for sure I think we only recorded in person I think our first two episodes were in person and then the rest were through zoom but at least they turned out all, all right so we know zoom works yeah I know right zoom works so what are we talking about uh, today chat so today we are talking about the whole process from applying to universities in Australia to arriving in Australia. So it's the whole start to finish process. We will outline uh, 10 steps for you. So yeah, hopefully that will provide you with some guidance on uh, what steps and what timing, uh, when those steps should be taken so that you, well, you, you get from start to finish and then you get here on time. So. I know definitely for me personally, when I was researching to come to Australia, I think it was a little bit overwhelming because I'm, I was thinking, where do I start or what do I mm. do first? Like, do I apply? And then what do I do after that? Like, when should I apply? How many weeks before and stuff like that? So hopefully this will provide you with some guidance. Did you feel the same, Kevin? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's quite a good coincidence that, you know, in our 10th episode, which we're very excited about, we're talking about a topic, which I believe is, you know, um, really exciting for most of us international students, including ourselves before, because you know that feeling when you got the, say, offer acceptance or when you start um, applying and then through to when you're actually booking your first flight ticket to Australia, it's quite exciting process, isn't it? to talk about this process so we can share our story, our experiences, and also just talk you through. Uh, I reckon it's going to be very helpful. Yeah, and it just occurred to me that you said our 10th episode and we're providing you with a 10-step guide. So oh, there, there you <laughs> a pure coincidence, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's, it's, it's all part of our grandmaster plan, you know, so since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so before we talk about what the first step is, I guess you need to ask yourself whether you want to apply by yourself or through an uh, education agent. So if you apply through yourself, then like by yourself, I mean, um, then you need to handle all the paperwork, all the forms and all the visa application yourself. So do all the research and then take everything as at your own pace with no one to, I guess, probe you or support you uh, in the professional sense, I guess. Whereas if you go through an education agent, um, they can give you advice on which universities to choose, uh, tell you which forms to use, 
and they can also liaise or contact with the uni directly on your behalf. Now, even if you go through an education agent and apply through them, you can still uh, email the universities yourself if you want to. If you have some questions for them, then feel free to go ahead. But the agent's just there to guide you and lead you through, okay, you need to fill out this form now and submit this now. They do it for thousands of students, so they definitely have the expertise they can also assist you with the visa process too and what's included in the application and answer any questions you have. Now, because some of these education agents are migration agents as well, so they specialize in migration. They know all the visa applications inside out. So it might be a good idea to go with agents if um, this is your first time applying to overseas courses, to courses in Australia. So, and if you're just want some guidance, I think an agent would be good uh, to have. However, just be aware that the agents are getting paid commissions by the unis. So they would have some sort of bias because they would say have a list of 10 universities in Australia that they have a close relationship with, they get high commissions from. Surely they would recommend those universities to you, right? So Take their advice, listen to what they have to say, but obviously do your own research and stand your ground. Like say, if you say, I definitely want to apply to this uni and they recommend you otherwise, then maybe you you need to be firm about that. I don't think you have to pay any fees to go through an agent, but there may be some extra charges, so be careful. Yeah, I I believe you don't have to... um pay a fee to the agent. I believe uh, most agents, I should, I think should be all agents. They get commissions from the institutions, the universities that you got your offer accepted. And when you go there to study, then the universities pay the agent like a commission fee. And that's how they make their profit. But you said um, the students will have to be quite careful on if the agent's opinion is bias or not, because they may got paid uh, really well commissions from a particular university. And some agent may push that university choice to you as your choice of university. But um, sometimes you don't really like that university. Or if you feel like your goal, your target not suited with that university while you're teaching or reputations, then yeah, you have to be careful about that. Also, if you apply with an agent initially and say if you want to change to another agent or if you want to change to uh, represent yourself to the university, then you need to submit a change of agent form request to the university so they will have all your documents and communications sent to the new agent or to yourself if you are uh, doing the application yourself. For me, I believe that most students should still go through agents because they are professional in this field and uh, they will take care of your application really careful and they will tell you what documents to prepare. And in some uh, situations as well, they will uh, give you advice so that um, your application is easier to be accepted, if that makes sense. So if you don't really know say how to write a personal statement, a statement of purpose, or if you don't really know to prepare enough documents, um, your application may be delayed 
or in some case rejected. So I believe the agents provide uh, a lot of value to the students. Just when you choose your agent, uh, you need to do a bit of research on uh, who's the good one and uh, who will you know, uh, give you an objective service without um, being biased. Yeah, definitely agree. I, I definitely um, had good experience going through an education agent when I was applying to come to Australia. So would definitely recommend that. And also they provide like a source of information for you as well. If you have some questions, you don't know who to ask, you can still ask them and they will do their best to answer your questions or guide you in the right direction. They might know uh, other people who might be able to answer your questions or they might know other students that are also applying at the same time or something and can uh, link you guys up so that you guys can network and that. So personally, I would definitely go through an agent especially because it's such a big decision and big application, big process to go through. Okay, so now let's move on to the 10-step process. So step one is to get all your required documents together and they have to be translated and certified, I believe. So they need to be certified by like an authority that Australia or the universities accept. So if you're not sure who can certify your documents, you can ask the education agents or just have a look on the website of the Australian universities and they will list out all the people who are um, who have the authority to certify your documents. So it is like a lengthy preparation step, as in you need to get together everything, all the official documents. So you need your academic transcript. So that's the official document from your school with all your grades. You'll need the your English test certificate. So this is like your IELTS or TOEFL test. We recommend that you do the English test a bit earlier, like maybe even one and a half years to two years before you apply, just in case you don't get to the a required English requirement, so you would still have time to redo the test, uh, to revise and yeah, reattempt the test. Yeah, I think other documents we require are like, or they require are like uh, referees. Um, I think I did have referees from my high school. I, I think it wasn't required as part of some applications, but I submitted it anyway because they're only saying good things about you, so you might as well submit it. Um, I think I definitely did have a personal statement, so I spent a lot of time writing that up. And of course, your identity document. So all this is like all the the standard required documents. I'm sure some universities would require other documents, but definitely check it all beforehand. Make sure you have everything all in one go so that you can submit everything in one go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like Chan said, prepare early. And uh, for, I just got a couple of notes. So for the English test certificate, most of the time is IELTS, right? So for IELTS, um, you uh, have that window period of two years uh, from the day when you get your English test, IELTS test result. So you've got two years to use that uh, test result uh, for academic purposes, which is used for applying into a uni course, for example, and you have more time to prepare and say if you don't pass it the first time, you still have time to retake the test. 
And also the next one I say is the personal statement, a statement of purpose. Now this one is sometimes it's quite straightforward, but uh, if you come from certain countries, this is speaking from experience when I was working inside international uh, recruitment as my part-time job, I saw some assessor looking, reading some you know, students' statement of purpose and it rejected to give them an offer letter because the statement of purpose didn't really focus on the purpose of the international student, which mainly is come to Australia to study. The statement of purpose says something about along the line of, uh, I have my brother or my sister here and I really want to, to you know, to come to Australia study because uh, he me or her is there as well, you know. When in, you know, when you first hear about it, it sounds quite normal, but say if you come from uh, certain countries that is quite in the, say, in the high risk of, you know, people say back to in Australia, you know, not in a legal way, then to some assessor that is like have a red flag and say, no, they got their immediate family member here and um, they probably not going to, you know, stay in Australia legally, but instead when we stay illegally, which is past their visa period. My tip is uh, for the statement of purpose, just solely focus on the target of your study, right? So uh, discuss your study and how your study will help you in terms of future career or um, future community, be it Australia or your home home country, but don't strain away, you know, to other topics uh, and not focus on your study. So focus solely on your study because that is the main reason why international students apply to come to Australia, right? No, that's definitely interesting. And I guess it's a shame because obviously the student would definitely have the intention of wanting to come here and study for a genuine purpose, but they're just mentioning a very normal fact that they've got family here, but it can definitely be taken the wrong way, as you mentioned. So yeah, make it as relevant as possible to the study and the pure purpose that you're here to study. And uh, we'll touch on it a bit later when we talk about um, the visa application, because I think you have to submit like another document to show that you're genuinely here in Australia to study. Yeah, so the next step, step two, which is just apply. So uh, whether you do it yourself or you uh, have an agent helping you, or after you gather uh, all your documents, you can start applying to different units and uh, different universities have, you know, different portal when you can uh, log in or create an account or you can go in and start your application process. So uh, really not not much to say about this one, really. Just uh, follow the uh, steps on each uni website and uh, start your applications. There may be application fee for each university you apply to. And sometimes that the agent may offer some sort of discount by paying these fees for you as well, because at the end they receive commission from the universities uh, if you got your offer accepted. In the case of international students that had already started high school in Australia, which is like myself, um, I used to study year 10 to year 12 in Sydney, you know, doing Australian high school system. And when I applied to Australian universities, it is through a system called UAC, so UAC, and uh, I do the university um, entrance exam here in Australia uh, and receive uh, my mark called the ATAR, A-T-A-R. 
and uh, the whole exam uh, called Higher School Certificate, which is um, standout short for HSC. With onshore students, say international students onshore, who's already doing high school in Australia, um, there's maybe one fee only to pay. And with that fee, it put your application in. And when I was doing it, I got to choose to put down six different courses, say in six different units if I want to, or in one unit if I want to. So I did put my application in for six different units. Um, I believe when I was doing it with a education agent here, they offered to pay for that uh, application fee because that's how they get students to go with them. And if I got accepted my offer, then they would get a commission from uni, yeah. Yeah, I think with if you apply through education agents, I think they submit the application for you so you don't have to go into the website of the universities and go through the portal. So it's only if you apply by yourself, then you do that whole thing on their website. But I believe the education agent will submit it, you, all your docs for you so you don't have to do that. Yeah, in regards to onshore international students uh, here applying to university through the UAC system, I'll, I will include a link to the Australian education website, uac.edu.au, and it will outline the step-by-step on what you need to do if you are year 11 and year 12 students here in Australia doing high school in Australia and moving on to applying to Australian universities here onshore. Cool. Okay. So step three is, so after you've applied and hopefully you will hear some good news, you will receive some good, good news through your email or through a phone call from your education agent. And they will tell you that you have received an offer from the uni. So yeah. yay. So I think, I think it's definitely a very um, emotional time period because you go through ups and down and you're stressed and you apply and then you feel relieved and then you hear back from the unis whether that's good news or bad news it's definitely emotionally draining but yeah so I think there's two types of offers there's conditional offers and unconditional offers so a conditional offer has conditions so that means that if you meet some conditions then you'll get the full offer or the unconditional offer. So those conditions could be anything from um, achieving certain marks in your English test or achieving certain marks in your final high school exams. Because I think when you apply for universities, you can do it like in your last year of high school. So you haven't technically fully finished your year 12 or year 13 at school yet. So they would give you a, a, a conditional offer and that will be a sign that, yes, they, they like you. And if you achieve uh, all A's or something in your final exam, then you will get an unconditional or full offer. So if you've applied, like say, when you've already finished your high school, you've got all the English test requirements, the uni likes you, they accept you, then you'll get an unconditional or full offer. So that's like 100% you're in. Yeah, to have an, you know, unconditional offer is quite something, hey, like to just, you can brag with everyone, hey, unconditional offer, you know, I, I get in no matter what. You do that, you have to get, you know, all the marks, all the IELTS. So that's, that's another thing to stress how important it is to start your English test, um, you know, journey quite early on. So 
you don't have to chase up on it and may miss out on the offer because you didn't meet the condition, right? Okay, so the next step after you receive, say, your offer is to pay the deposit of the first semester tuition fee in most cases. So um, it is one of the conditions to pay the fees and also to make sure that you have your overseas student health cover purchased as well. In a lot of the cases, the agent who apply for you will also purchase the OSAC uh, cover on your behalf. But in some cases, say if you um, know some organization that sell this OSAC cover um, directly, and so if you can, can get a better deal or a little bit of the discount and save some money, so you can go directly with them as well instead of going through the agent. For more information on the Overseas Student Health Cover, we put a link to the health cover website from the government, from Australian government in privatehealth.gov.au. And it's a section we'll talk uh, more details about Overseas Student Health Cover for you. Some unis will include this Overseas Student Health Cover in their fees as well. So they will list out their tuition fee plus this Overseas Health Cover. So you'll pay a lump sum to the uni and they will pay the health insurer on your behalf as well. So if they do that, then that's a bonus so that you don't have to worry about picking which insurer you want. And this is actually compulsory to uh, pay for. So it's a condition of your visa that you have this private health insurance cover for international students so that in the unfortunate event that you get sick or you need to go to hospital here in Australia, uh, healthcare here is not cheap for non-citizens or non-permanent residents. So you definitely need that insurance just to help with some of the costs if you do need to go to hospital here. It's the most freely, right? Mm. You know, it costs money quite a lot as well, but it will bring you a peace of mind. And, you know, especially when you're in a foreign country with mostly no family members, no relative next to you. If something happened, then you need to have that health cover to assure that you'll be taken care of in the health system. So step five is you've already paid your tuition fee. The uni has accepted, has received the money. Then they will um, provide you with the COE or the confirmation of enrollment. So it's basically a statement that confirms that you have been enrolled in the uni and it's all official now. So you'll need that document to apply for your visa. In terms of timing for steps one to five, when do you think, I know we've covered briefly on the IELTS and English test, but when do you think we should, I guess, start from step one, do you think? For me, the step one to five should be aimed to be completed way ahead of uh, step six, which we'll talk about next. Because realistically, a lot of this, right, you kind of have to wait until the very last, say, one or two months before. Say if you applying for uni and you need, you want to finish your high school in your home country just two months beforehand and you have to wait to get that final mark for you to apply to uni, then you can leave that until that very last month to get that mark because you can't do anything about it, but you can start, you know, prepare all the other documents like statement of purpose and handle all the paperwork form, sort out the agent, find a suitable agent for you to, so they can help you with you start the process well. So you can do all that, say one to two years before you apply for the uni. So 
that way you have plenty of time to prepare. And also bear in mind that, you know, when we talk about step six here, which is apply for a visa, the visa application process may take up a few weeks to two months as well in some cases. Yeah, and especially during the pandemic, there may be delays due to COVID, uh, delays in Australia, delays in your home country, so allow extra time as well. Okay, so step six is applying for the visa. So I believe there's um, one visa for international students here in Australia, and that's the subclass 500. So use the document checklist tool on the Australian immigration website to see the specific list of documents you need, because I think it sort of differs between each nationality, like where you're from. But I mean, there's like standard documents, like all your ID documents that you need. Uh, we'll include a link in the show notes to this document checklist tool. And there's also a link from studyaustralia.gov.au. So this is an Australian government website, which we mentioned about in our, I think, in our prior episode about choosing the right course. Yes. Yes. So they've got a, a, an article on the step-by-step guide to the visa and entry requirements. And they actually list out all the documents and provide some descriptions on that, on that as well. So definitely check it out. But one of the things we want to point out is the genuine temporary entrant requirement. So the GTE. So it's a personal statement or a document that you write up to show that you're coming to Australia genuinely to get an education and you won't overstay your visa because obviously that's what the immigration department does not want you to do and that's what they're concerned about. Similarly, and I guess relevant to our previous point in the personal statement about you showing your genuine purpose to come here to study. So we'll give you give you a link to that as well. So check it out to see. They bullet point out all the points you need to show to show that you're genuine, I guess. Yeah, for the visa application as well, uh, I believe you have to include the COE, which is confirmation of enrollment from the university and other documents as well, say your academic transcript in your hometown, uh, your English uh, result, English proficiency docs, so your test result, uh, maybe police certificate in your country or proof that also financial proof that you have uh, enough money or your family have enough money to support yourself over the duration of the course. So most in most case for universities here in Australia, right? A lot of the case you will be under 18 years old. So in that case, mostly your parents or your carer financial situations, if they can prove that they will have enough finance to support you throughout your study, throughout your uh, degree duration as well. Or if you over 18 and already say start working in your hometown, so just a proof that you have enough finance to support your studies in Australia. The next thing will be to get a health check. There are organizations throughout the world in your hometown that provide this health check process. And all it is, is they just do an overall health check to make sure that you are healthy and there's no underlying health issue. And then just give you the clearance to board the plane to Australia. Well, the visa will cost at least uh, $630 Australian dollars unless you have an exemptions. 
So we, we have the link in the show note for you to have a look in the details in the student visa subclass 500 to read more about the visa costs and the details, everything as well. Yeah, so just in relation to the timing of all these documents, some of these documents you would already have from step one, from when you apply to the uni, like your academic transcript and your English test documents. But like say the genuine temporary entrant personal statement and the finance proof, that might take some time to prepare. So I would prepare this um, a bit earlier as well. So not when you've already got your offer letter and then you start to gather all the other finance documents that you need because most likely your parents will need to go and gather bank statements or prove that they have assets or income for this. So it might take a couple of weeks for them to gather these documents, get them translated and certified too. So yeah, allow yourself some extra time too. Early preparation is the key. For the visa application as well, for Australia, you you can apply through the immigration website. So we put that link in the show notes so you can follow and have a look. A lot of the case, if you apply through your education agent in your hometown or in Australia, they may help you with this visa application process as well at a small cost. So they may charge you a small fee and then they will do this for you. So moving on to the next step. The next step is actually the exciting one, which is book your flight ticket. After you finish your visa application process and you have your visa granted, or if you know for sure that you will have your visa granted because there's you know no reason why not, you can start looking around and fixing in some of the good flight ticket rates, some of the discounted rate, and you can be flexible with your debt. Yeah, you can get a cheaper ticket, you know, in some debt rather than the other debts. So I know a lot of people because they are quite sure that their application is strong and there are a really good chance that they will get the visa. They book their flight ticket early. So one, like I mentioned, they can have a better rates, better price. But also, too, they would prefer to come to Australia, say, uh, earlier than their commencement date so that they get to know the country and they get to adapt to the lifestyle before they start their courses as well. If you want to be careful and you can always wait until your visa is granted before booking a flight ticket, right? In some case, because you have to meet certain condition in your conditional offer, which is you have to wait for your final mark in high school in your hometown, for example, that leaves you with really little time to apply and get the confirmation of enrollment from uni. And that leaves you with little time, sometimes one or two weeks sometimes to apply for a visa. So in some case, I know that people have pre-booked their plane ticket before their visa got granted. And if their visa is not granted by the day, they can ask to move back or, you know, postpone the date that they need to fly to one, say one week later and hope they hope that their visa got granted by then. And in some cases, it actually worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I guess you can book um, refundable flight tickets or flexible flight tickets so you can change your days or in an unfortunate event, if your visa doesn't get approved for whatever reason, then you can still get the money refunded. And you also did mention a good point on getting the days you want. So because like there will be a massive influx, so this is pre-COVID, but I'm assuming that things will get back to 
normal like from december and from january february next year like there will be a massive influx of students jumping on planes to come to australia so it might be a bit difficult to get the day you really want and the last thing you want is to arrive to australia late so arrive like one or two weeks into session so that's definitely not what you want to um, end up doing if you can't get the desired date you want especially for university you don't You don't want to arrive later than, you know, the a week because orientation week, right? The first week is always the best week, you know, before you got thrown into all that heavy study load. <laughs> so it's your chance to get to know the uni and have some fun and make some friends. Yeah, for sure. I think we raved about the all week in our the first or second episode. I think we made it clear that it's very fun. So I'm sure students don't want to miss that week out. <laughs> Okay, so I think the fun just continues from step seven, I guess. So step eight is to arrange for your accommodation. So for most international students, this is their first step into the real world, like living away from home. It's it's definitely a big step. So we'll touch on this briefly and we'll definitely do an episode on accommodation because there's a lot of details involved and a lot of information that we want to share with you. But We'll just give you a brief outline of what accommodation options we have here in Australia for international students. So the first one is homestay. So this is where you live with an Australian family. So they will provide all the food or the accommodation for you and you basically pay them the rent plus food plus bills or whatever they will charge. This is a I guess a good way if you want to integrate into the Australian family life. Yes. And these families would be like reputable or they would have like, because the unis would have to do quality checks on them. And I think they have to like meet certain requirements or get checked by the unis or get checked by the um, the official, I can't remember what the official authorities are, but yeah, it's not like anyone can host homestay. So you have to have a police check, for example, mm. Yeah, I would totally agree. Homestay is, is a great place to adapt to the Australian family lifestyle, but also it's a place for you to, it's an option for you to get experience different culture as well. Because like I said, Australia is a very, very multicultural country. So your homestay, even though they are Australian, but they may come from uh, different countries. So like yourself, say if you come from uh, your hometown, they may come from another hometown and settle in Australia. So it could be your chance to learn about another uh, culture as well. Uh, have you ever been in homestay, Chad? No, no. So not through homestay. So it's always through private rental for me. Yeah, which is our next point. So if you want some more freedom, if you don't want to, I guess, live with another set of parents throughout <laughs> your study, <laughs> yes. then you can uh, rent a room in a, a private apartment or private house here and just live with other students or other uh, other adults, I guess. So you cook, clean, do everything yourself. And I think it's definitely a good uh, good chance for you to be outside your comfort zone and do everything yourself. That's how I learned how to cook. Yeah, really? I thought you already know how to cook back in Vietnam. Nope, not at all. <laughs> okay, sorry to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> Which is two options as well. We have to stress that also, if you are under 18, there are a good chance that you have to offer homestay. 
because you have to have some kind of guardians and carer, official legally carer for you. So if you don't have a immediate family member, like say your brother or sister, or your uncle, or your aunt here in Australia, uh, that could be your legal carer, then you have to stay with a, a homestay family. Yep. And I guess the other accommodation option is on-campus accommodation. So this is camp, uh, accommodation provided by the uni. So also known as dormitories, I guess, in, I think it's US English. I don't mm. know if Australians use the word dormitories a lot, but yeah. I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah. So this uni accommodation is pretty much... I think it depends on the uni as well. Most of the accommodation would be like right next to the uni campus. So it's super handy if you just want to cross the road to uni. But I think say with the University of Wollongong, they've got accommodation around Wollongong City as well. So if you don't want to live right next door to uh, your campus, then you can. So yeah, interesting stuff. So what's next, Kevin? Yeah, sure. Um, so after you got your accommodation sorted, um, you're going to start thinking about how to uh, get to your university or your accommodations uh, from the airport, which you arrange for airport pickup or travel options. So some universities will offer complimentary airport pickup for their new students. And I know Wollongong Uni, um, our old uni, Wollongong University is one of them because well, Wollongong is like 90 to 100 kilometers away from Sydney. So it's quite a long way to travel from there. And if you're a new international student in a country, you may not be very familiar with the public transport here or the, the taxi system or something. And in that case, you can ask the university to organize a pickup for you. Uh, in some cases, you probably have to pay a small fees or in some case in here that um, the uni actually offer that for you for free as a like a welcoming present I guess it's definitely a really good initiative by the uni because you're off the plane you have no idea where to go next some help would be much appreciated so yeah I definitely used this service when I first came to uh, Sydney airport and the uni had a staff there at the airport and they have like this flag to say that they're from the University of Hong Kong and it's you're like you recognize a stranger so you know they're with you so you've got a, a few other alternative options if you want to use public transport as well so the public transport especially the train system here in Australia is really really convenient so you can quite easily get out of the international airport or arrival via trains that I think downstairs from the terminal, downstairs from the terminal and you can get out uh, by train and you can quite easily travel to whatever suburb that uh, your accommodation is in. Before you opt for the more expensive options, uh, which is could be taxis or Uber, but you know, with the taxi and Uber, you probably can get uh, straight to your accommodations, your address, and you don't have to worry about how to purchase like you know the train ticket or bus ticket or something like that so yeah it's all options for you to consider okay so i think step 10 is the most exciting step of all so this is when excitement's in the air you're like there's so much buzz and you're like getting ready to like start a new life so it's packing so 
I don't know about you, but I do like packing, especially to go on holidays. But this is a little bit different to to go to another country to live. Yes. So, just do some research as to what items you are allowed to bring on the plane or include it in your luggage, and what items are not allowed. Um, obviously, like obvious items like knives and stuff, you're not allowed on your luggage and stuff. So, do your research because you don't want to have to like open your luggage in front of. Everyone else at the airport at customs, and also very important point is to note the weight limit of your luggage because obviously you're moving your life to another country. You'd want to bring everything, right? Yes. Unfortunately, you have a thirty kilos or forty kilo weight limit, so you have to pick and choose what you want to bring. So, what do you think? Should you pack heavy or light? For me, I'm I'm always a fan of、uh, packing light, but. I understand as an international student's first time coming to Australia, and also if you say under eighteen and kind of your parents also is heavily influenced on how you pack, you can, you probably will be packing heavy. I'm pretty sure, but、um, yeah, just not the weight limits because I'm used to see all these international students, newly international students in the airport with a big box of instant noodles. With them, something like that. So, all we have to say is, you know, Australia is a very multicultural countries, and nowadays in the Australians'、uh, supermarkets and also in outside the Asian、uh, supermarkets out here as well, all the European supermarkets, they pretty much have all the food, all the items from different countries and different cultures. So it it could be quite easier than you think. To purchase, say stuff that is、uh, well known to your countries, and stuff that you regularly eat、um, in your country or you regularly have in your countries in here in Australia. So you shouldn't be worried about you know packing things like instant noodles or your country food、um, in your luggage. So that way you can make it lighter. Also. Computer goods or electronics in Australia as well is quite reasonable pricing with a pretty good quality. And also, if you purchase them here, you have a local warranty for at least two years, which is a good thing if anything you know broken or damaged. So you probably don't have to drag with you your heavy laptop, for example, and you know you can、uh, just buy it here in Australia. Yeah, but just on that though, I think. With stuff like、uh, stationery or、mm. like calculators, I think it's best just to buy it from your home country and bring it with you. That's just my personal opinion because then, when you come to Australia, then you don't have to worry about okay, where can I buy pencils or where can I buy a calculator in my first week living in a brand new、yes. country. So, I guess be as prepared as you can be, but not the weight limit. And I think first time comers into Australia, like myself. In back in 2013, I wasn't sure what is available in Australia, so I tried to pack as heavy as I could. But once I got here, I was like, "There's everything I need here." So yes, yeah, I know, right? I reckon in Australia, one of the thing is you'll be probably travel、uh, by public transport or by walking a lot than you know what you used to in your hometown, for example. So footwear, you know, I know you can. But it here quite easily in Australia. But you know, when you just arrive, could be overwhelming, and you could, you know, you didn't, you don't know where to buy this footwear. So for me,、um, I would say you need to pack at least、uh, one good sports shoes 
that give you that cushion support so that you know because you won't be walking a lot in Australia. So that's a good thing. And maybe one more, a little bit more dress shoes so you can, you know, um, wear with you on occasions like um, formal occasions like orientation day. Not really in Australia, but, you know, we in both short and tongs in uh, orientation days. But <laughs> or you can, you know, just uh, those formal mm. occasions in your university that you need to attend. Yeah, like these networking events or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Also, one of the things probably the most important is to bring the travel adapter uh, because Australian as uh, we we have this weird power source as a you know the three straight line but the top two is quite tilted. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe. We we probably it's can like at some... an angle like a yes. roof. Exactly. Yeah. So like like, like a, a roof, roof with the with the uh, bottom one in the middle straight, whereas in a lot of countries I know where we come from, uh, most of the Asian countries, they have just two straight line as a power source. And um, if you don't have the right adapter, say if you arrive uh, in the afternoon or something, and you're like, oh, why, why all the shops are closed in Australia already? Because the shop closed quite early, like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or something like that. And you couldn't find the travel adapter. You might not have power to say, um, recharge your phone and call your family or something like that so it could be something that is really handy if you prepare ahead and bring those universal travel adapter yeah for sure like it's a minor thing but it's major inconvenient if you don't have it like that was one of the first things I bought when I came to Australia because I did not know about the different uh, different power source plug so definitely, yeah, that was one of the first things I had to buy and it was 20 bucks and it was a lot as it for an international student. I was like, I could have bought this for $1 back in Vietnam, but yes. I did not know. Yes. <laughs> and I guess another thing that's really important with packing and what you bring into Australia is that Australia has really strict biosecurity rules. So that's like, you cannot bring in uh, I guess, fresh or stuff that could impact their uh, biosecurity, so impact their farming or impact the animals here in Australia because we're a big island. So they're very strict into what people bring in because it could potentially bring in diseases that could, um, yeah, damage crops here, I guess. So be careful, do your research as to what you can and can't bring into the country. It's very, very specific. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out because when you get through customs you would they would scan you a few times and if there is something questionable you'll have to open up all your luggage yes and it you can, don't want you to know, do that yeah and it can store you quite a long time you know when you're getting stopped at custom and say your university um, pickup is trying you know waiting for you outside and also a lot of people know what they can't bring but then they try to force it to try to, you know, uh, secretly bring it anyway, not declare. So don't do that because if you got caught out, there's um, you you could be faced uh, up getting, you know, serious fine and you can uh, end up pay a lot of money for penalty or, or fine because of that. So, yeah, that's not what you want. Okay, so that was our 10-step process uh, from applying to arriving to Australia. So... Hopefully that has provided some guidance so, so you know what to expect, what to do first, what to do next, and the timings involved. And 
Yeah, it's a good episode. We hope it was helpful for you. Yeah, it certainly bring back for us, you know, a lot of these fond memories uh, about, you know, when we were very excited when we received our offer of letter and, you know, we come kind of straight out to study. So I know it's, it's very exciting for you guys too. So hopefully this episode will help you prepare better for your journey uh, here in Australia. And also if you have not started your application yet, maybe you should, uh, when you should start thinking about the applications and hopefully this episode got ignited that interest in you and got you excited for the process. Yeah, good luck guys. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share with your friends and follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you haven't already at the Koala Club podcast. 